are a lot of things that keep Michelle Dalker up at night. Ongoing workforce challenges are the obvious one, but the CFO of Mission Health Communities also thinks about state-level reimbursement and the ever-changing regulatory requirement landscape. Despite the host of challenges facing skilled nursing providers, Mission Health is not sitting idly by, according to Delker. The Florida-based operator has invested more than $1 million in its own workforce to recruit and retain workers, including an in-house certified nursing assistant program that has resulted in a significant reduction in CNA agency use since its launch. In addition, Delker told Skilled Nursing News that feverishly engaging in conversations with leaders from the nine states that they operate in has been paramount to the company's success. Mission Health operates 47 skilled nursing, senior living, assisted living, and short-stay rehabilitation facilities across nine states. Before we get to that interview, I wanted to promote our in-person WeThink conference happening on September 1st in Chicago. Hosted by Skilled Nursing News, WeThink is the premier skilled nursing event dedicated to trends, challenges, and the future of the industry. Be sure to visit skillednursingnews.com slash events for the latest updates on the conference and our other scheduled events. Michelle. What led you to the healthcare field and specifically your role at Mission Health Communities? Long-term care and skilled nursing is not something that I was familiar with. Um, I spent about the first 10 years of my career with the wholly owned affiliate of GE and then left after having my second baby to move into a leadership position in healthcare, but not in our particular sector. When I was in my new organization, healthcare, but not long-term care. My dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And until his diagnosis, I was largely unfamiliar with the space. Pretty much everything that I knew about it, I learned from watching the Golden Girls when Dorothy would threaten to send Ma to Shady Pines. But my dad's diagnosis really opened my eyes to this whole population of folks that needed additional assistance. And as I began to research, I learned that the sector itself was almost as underserved as the population that it was caring for. And so I'm an accountant by trade. Um, Fortunately, there are many different industries I can choose to work in. And I thought, I want to work somewhere where the work I do is meaningful, where it makes a difference and impacts the greater good. And so that's how I chose skilled nursing and long-term care. But mission was a little bit different. I really wanted to work with someone with an organization who aligned with my own value system. And Mission Health Communities really does. The mission is to enhance the lives of those we serve. The values are CARES values, character, attitude, respect, excellence, and service. Even if you don't know the company, you know that these are hallmarks of just overall goodness. And after looking at what the company was about and looking at the incredible leadership team, ultimately led by our president and CEO, Stuart Lindemann, pretty well known in the space, I thought this is an organization that I want to be a part of. And I would say it was rather serendipitously. Their sitting CFO was looking to make some adjustments to their accounting and finance group. I had worked with her in the past and she reached out to me to see if I had any interest in coming on. That was almost five years ago, and it feels like yesterday and a lifetime all at the same time. (laughs) I honestly cannot remember life before moving into this sector because while it is tough, there's so much incredible meaning associated with everything that we're doing. And I feel very, very fortunate that I'm not only in the space, but also with this incredible organization. 
Wow, no, that is very interesting. And I certainly would say uh, serendipitous as well. So I'm just kind of curious, you know, you talked a little bit about some of your past experience. How do you think that has helped you in this role? It's really funny that you ask. I was worried when I joined the team. I mentioned it's such an incredible group of folks and everyone on the team has grown up in skilled nursing, is either a registered nurse or has been an actual operator in a building. I think the least experienced person has 25 years in the space. And so my biggest concern was that I was going to be the outsider and not know all of the lingo and the lay of the land. But what I found is that the different perspective I brought was actually pretty, pretty helpful, <laughs> believe it or not, because when you're in the space for such a long period of time, you can get mired in the detail and in how things have been. And for me, having that different perspective, oftentimes I would say, but why? <laughs> but why is it that way? How did we get to this point? What does it mean? Uh, what opportunities are there uh, to reconsider how we're doing it or make some changes? So what I originally worried about has actually turned into something that's helped add an additional layer of consideration when we're evaluating all of the different things, whether we're looking at our organization's existing performance opportunities that are on the horizon or initiatives that we could undertake. There's definitely a little bit of a different flavor because of my background having been something different. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I can imagine that that flexibility and, and some of that questioning came to good use during the COVID-19 pandemic when really nobody knew what to do and, and there was really nothing that was preceding it like it. So I'm sure that that, that came in handy in a lot of ways. I will tell you, there was there's nowhere else I would have rather been during that time than with such a solid group of individuals and folks that really came together during what was the most tumultuous time we've ever experienced. Absolutely. And so, you know, just kind of thinking about now, what keeps you up at night as a CFO of a skilled nursing facility? So... A lot of things. A lot of things keep me up at night. I would say top of the list right now, of course, the workforce challenges, leveraging agency with incredible premiums and basically um, fixed reimbursement. I would say beyond the workforce crisis, state reimbursement really, because that's an, an issue that we've struggled with for a number of years. And at this point, we really need to begin making some meaningful traction Beyond that, state reparations. So we were fortunate enough to receive a healthy amount of assistance through the Provider Relief Fund, um, through the CARES Act. But we do operate in a number of different states. And obviously, each state had the autonomy to make decisions on how they would like to provide assistance. So that, because we have some states that have really gone to Herculean measures to assist and then others that we're still working with um, to get some of the assistance that we're in need of. And then beyond that, what it's always been, the regulatory requirements and the changing landscape of the level of stringency associated with enforcement of penalties. Of course, we want to do everything perfectly. And the pandemic, I think, has really shined a light on opportunities for improvement, and then also areas where people have done an absolutely incredible job. So those things together, the state reimbursement, reparations or lack thereof, the workforce challenges, and then the regulatory requirements with which we must comply together 
are a lot. Fortunately, we're not we're not sitting by idly. We're doing things. We're having active conversations, and we're explaining really the tone of the marketplace and the story of our particular sector, which surprisingly is new information to some, and then an old tale to others. So really doing our part and not sitting idly by. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know that we'll talk a little bit more about the workforce challenges in just a bit, but I wanted to spend some time on the regulatory topic. Skilled nursing is obviously waiting with bated breath to see if the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services will implement the proposed $320 million cut to Medicare funding related to PDPM over one year or spread out over a few years, like I know many providers are hoping for. What are some of the things that you'll be keeping an eye on at Mission Health over the next several months in terms of the financials? So it's funny, it actually ties back into the conversation we just had. We are going to continue to feverishly engage conversations with the various states about reimbursement levels. In many cases, the Medicaid reimbursement that we receive is less than the actual cost to us to provide care for our Medicaid residents. So having that conversation is ultimately paramount to our success. Additionally, we do know that there are quite a few states that are still choosing how to distribute the monies that have been shared with them. And so providing education and clarity on true performance, because I think the narrative may have gotten a little muddied and confusing due to some of the federal monies that were previously released. Same with the workforce challenges. We have heavily leveraged agency to ensure that we are properly staffed and that we can take care of our residents as we have committed to. But of course, with that, there are premiums. So that's something we have to pay close attention to. And then the regulatory requirements, making sure that we are evaluating all of the changes that are coming down. They're coming down so fast and so furious. It's a full-time job to evaluate and then synthesize and metabolize and put a plan into place across our 50 different facilities to make sure that we are staying within compliance. So all of those things in the meantime, while we wait on the periphery for a call related to the Medicare reduction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And so uh, you, you led into my next question here in terms of the workforce. What types of investments in training and retention has Mission Health made? And how has that paid off in terms of the financials? So it's been really incredible. We sat down as a leadership group in October of 2020 and talked about what our next big initiative was going to be. And it had to be addressing the workforce crisis. This is honestly before we hit the fever pitch. I mean, we really didn't begin to feel the depths of the crisis, I would say, until May of 2021. But we sat down in October of 2020 and we talked about needing to invest in our workforce How could we do that? How could we make the space appealing? What could we do to facilitate? Because we need bright young minds. We need those passionate folks who really believe in the mission, the vision, and the values of what the sector is is delivering. So our incredible team came up with a pretty phenomenal program. And the crux of it is that we're investing in you. The biggest component was setting up a paid CNA training program and hiring recruiters to go out into the local communities and discover this talent, share the story of our space, 
and engage them to join our organization. It's been an absolutely incredible program, something I feel so fortunate to have been a part of. We're talking in some cases about folks who have never before had an opportunity to receive an investment like a paid training program. We are putting people through this course, sitting with them, assisting them while they're studying and watching them pass and ultimately graduate. And then when they get to one of our facilities, we're buddying them up with a mentor to ensure that they're receiving a good indoctrination. We all know that it's one thing to learn something in the classroom and then another thing to put it into practice in real life. And so we want to make sure that we're giving plenty of runway and a soft start for our new folks to come out and be successful. It's been really enriching and rewarding, and there's also a financial benefit. If we were to graduate roughly 50 CNAs through this training program and hang on to them for a year, that saves us roughly a million and a half dollars in agency because the markups that we're seeing today are roughly 100%. So it's an incredibly meaningful program and something that when we modeled out, we looked at it taking potentially five to seven years to rebuild the bedrock of what we've lost over the last year and a half, two years at this point. Yeah, it's, it certainly sounds like a medium to long-term investment. But as you mentioned, uh, the payoff, especially when it comes to agency savings, understanding where those prices are at at this point, makes it seem like it's a medium to, sh- to long-term investment for really an even longer-term payoff. It is. And the engagement and loyalty when you're making that type of investment in someone, that is the differentiator. That is what stops people from going across the street for an extra 25 or 50 cents, remembering uh, the relationship that we've built and the partnership. Because at the end of the day, we are nothing without our teams. That makes sense. Focusing on CMS for for a little bit longer here, uh, you know, they also recently shared that the government agency is seriously looking into requiring nursing homes across the country to spend most of their Medicaid payments on direct patient care. More specifically, the Biden administration strategy would limit the amount of Medicaid dollars used on operations, maintenance, and capital improvements are considered profits. What are your thoughts on this and how might this impact Mission Health's financials, if at all? So it's interesting because in many states in which we operate, we already do. We already invest essentially the revenue that we're earning in providing the direct care. I would call it um, in some cases almost a loss leader because it does cost more in some areas based on the structure and the fixed reimbursement to care for the resident than what we're ultimately receiving. This has to change. I talked about the next generation. If we want to attract young folks, if we want to attract that top tier talent into this space, we're going to have to make some adjustments. Um, We need to do better than losing or breaking even. We need to actually be profitable to where we can then take those profits and reinvest. Reinvest in our facilities, reinvest in our people, reinvest in technology um, so we can continue to build out the continuum and provide the care that we have committed to. Yeah, I think a lot of the argument or, or conversation surrounding a lot of these reforms or measures that are being implemented is surrounding the 
the funding or reimbursement that might be tied toward toward some of these programs. Because as you mentioned, you know, there needs to be some sort of investment placed to be able to to see these come to life if that's what the administration would like to see come forth. Absolutely, especially with challenges when we talk about having multiple folks together in a room. We've talked about potentially transitioning to private rooms. That's a significant investment that needs to be made and there will need to be assistance. Those are the types of investments that we want to make in our buildings. Definitely. Now, circling back here to agency for a little bit, how has Mission Health worked to either negotiate contracts with or generally control agency use in facilities at a time when the industry is facing its staffing shortages? It's been challenging, definitely. Um, If we were to go back five years and look historically at our agency usage, it was quite minimal in the past. Obviously, we we fell heavily into agency as many others did. And I mentioned for us the fever pitch really coming in May of 2021. It continued to build. And by the end of the year, I would say we had more than 75% of our facilities in agency, which is prohibitive with the markups. What did we do? Well, we started measuring very, very closely. We've always looked at our PPDs on a daily basis, but now we're really scrutinizing the weighting of those PPDs, the composition of the CNA, the LPN, the RN. And we're tracking it closely, also in conjunction with our CNA training program, because as we graduate folks and we deploy them to facilities, we anticipate that the agency component of the PPD is going to correspondingly decline. So tracking and making sure that we're highly communicative with our facilities about what we're seeing, PPD, actual versus budget, and then making sure that the composition is appropriately allocated as we anticipated has been really helpful. And what we found in some cases is that maybe we didn't need agency in a particular building. Um, Beyond that, we do have buildings that definitely require agency usage. And so the stance that we've taken is in general, we are wanting to do business with our preferred partners, those that are strategically aligned with us and share similar values. And so rather than engaging 15 different agencies, we're paring it down to maybe three in a particular geographic location and reaching out to those partners and saying, we would like to use you primarily. And as a result, we'd like to talk about pricing so we can use you and mutually benefit from the relationship. And fortunately, we've built incredible relationships in the communities in which we operate. Um, We are a very good partner. And so we found some incredible partners that are willing to work with us as it relates to pricing. But it's not a long-term solution. The long-term solution is rebuilding that bedrock and having our permanent full-time employees caring for our residents on a daily basis. Yeah, it's really interesting that you're talking about kind of building relationships with some of these agencies. And certainly, as you said, it's not a long-term solution, but when you can narrow that down and really say, you know, hey, I'm helping you out and you're helping me out and it's a little bit more of a symbiotic relationship than a transactional, I, th- I think, I'm sure it sounds from what you're saying to, to end up being relatively fruitful in that regard in terms of making it a little less transactional when it, when it comes to being able to negotiate the prices and the ways in which you guys have to work together. Well, it's interesting. I would say so many folks that are in this particular space are driven by 
their own personal experiences. And so you have that connection in common and selecting the partners that truly believe in their hearts in what they're doing and have those similar mission, vision, and value systems has been incredibly helpful. At the end of the day, truly what we're doing boils down to relationships. And it is a very small space. Building those relationships is incredibly important. And fortunately, we've got so many phenomenal partners. We really are looking to support one another throughout this tumultuous time. Definitely. I'm curious, we have heard from some providers that agency use and, and staffing challenges in, in general have slowly started to perhaps take a turn or or see some some positive signs. Are you guys seeing that at all? Or, or what are you seeing in terms of 2022 in the workforce? We are. I would say a couple of months ago, we performed an in-depth analysis about our direct care labor, looking at our actual versus our budget, and then again, the composition of the different disciplines that comprise the overall numbers. And we started to have some conversations about adjustments that we could make. And so that daily reporting and those conversations, I think, has facilitated some improvement in conjunction with our CNA training program, as well as our incredible recruitment efforts. We have seen a stark decline in our agency usage from April to May, and then again from May to June. I would say as of this morning, almost two months in, we're down about 72%, which is absolutely incredible. I think it shows that there is opportunity for improvement and that if we're all working together and moving in the same direction, we can definitely make a difference. Yeah, definitely. And so I'm, I'm just curious, one more question on the, the agency topic. I know that some providers, instead of using agency as frequently or, or perhaps on a more steady basis, are choosing to close down wings or limited missions. Where are you guys at in terms of limiting admissions? And it's, could you talk a little bit about that? We haven't had to stop admissions at this point, but I will say that not having not having adequate staffing has prevented us from moving forward with certain initiatives. We have a couple of facilities in particular that have some specialized programming or units that they would like to roll out, but we simply do not have the staff in place to be able to support the vent unit or the trach unit or the hemo den. And so that's unfortunate because it could help with increasing revenues and making the facilities a little bit stronger without any additional assistance, but there's simply not the available workforce in the marketplace at a price that makes sense for us. And so from your perspective, what do you see as two of the biggest challenges facing skilled nursing providers today, perhaps looking away from staffing initially? So I would say Medicaid reimbursement, um, number one, it's historically been underfunded and it's something that we have to talk about. We have to talk about with the various states, what the cost structure looks like and the frequency of the reimbursement changing. There are a number of states that only evaluate um, rebasing every five to 10 years, which with costs changing so rapidly, that's just not sufficient. So I would say that's the single biggest thing that we need to make sure we're properly communicating and having a healthy dialogue to articulate our needs so we can continue to deliver on our mission to enhance the lives of those we serve. And then beyond that, I would say, attracting the next generation. 
the next generation of folks that believes strongly about the mission of our particular sector. We need that. We need that passion. We need that enthusiasm. We need bright minds and strong leadership. When you have that, truly, I think anything is possible, but we're going to have to make some changes to be able to attract that. Definitely. I know that's a conversation that many, many people in the industry are having. And because at the end of the day, it sounds as, or it seems as though growing your own and developing those programs like you guys have certainly seems to be the the next logical step as COVID has kind of exposed the realities that a lot of the workforce that left is, is probably not coming back, at least uh, to the extent that was lost. Yes. And so, uh, you know, as inflation continues to rise and, and prices follow, how has that impacted Mission Health's bottom line? And how are you and your team working to curb some of those pain points? So it definitely makes it more tight. I would say that if you look over the last 20 years, ever since the reimbursement model changed due to the Balanced Budget Act back in the late 90s, we've had to be really smart about how we spend our pennies. And so we've already had to operate under that lean mindset. And so it's more of the same. It's remembering that this is a penny business, paying close attention to our PPDs. We would be lost without that, honestly. I would say then leveraging our partnerships and really using our GPO thoughtfully. Beyond that, shockingly, waste. We have to evaluate waste to determine if further adjustments need to be made whether to um, the way that we're consuming wipes, the way that we're sizing briefs, or even the size of food portions. We have to pay attention to all of that. That can help reevaluate or redefine what appropriate standards are. Yeah, that makes sense. And so looking kind of big picture, what are your two biggest goals for Mission Health when thinking about financials over the next two years? I sound like a broken record, but I would say definitely to garner Medicaid rate adjustments to where we're covering the cost of care, um, maybe with a little something extra, because then that would allow us to have the surplus necessary to do what we talked about, reinvesting in our facilities, in the plants, in the people, and then also in additional ancillary businesses to be a bit more self-sustaining within the continuum. And I think that's going to have to be the biggest conversation is the Medicaid reimbursement rates. And what do you think is skilled nursing's place within the senior living and care continuum? You know, you obviously talked about your introduction to the space. You are approaching your five-year anniversary. Um, You know, your organization has multiple options of care. Do you look at the organization as one network or individual discrete business lines? Tell me a little bit about your thoughts on on skilled nursing's place and, and how that all kind of fits together. It's funny. I, I truly feel very, very strongly about this, especially having gone through the pandemic and having to transition my father into a facility during the pandemic. My dad had very advanced Parkinson's disease and got to the point where he was unable to do most things. He was bedridden and in a wheelchair. And what I would say is our our spot in this particular sector we're an irreplaceable healthcare system for the most vulnerable population. That's why we're still around, because we have incredibly important work to do, um, and we're going to keep doing it. We're going to find a way. 
As far as evaluating our organization, we do look at our different lines of business as separate and distinct. We want to make sure we understand how every discipline is doing on its own. And then we look at the entire consolidated enterprise. That helps us determine what, if any, adjustments need to be made, any resources that may need to be reallocated, areas where we may need to bolster or we may see that we're performing better than expected in one area because we're leveraging a newly um, discovered best practice that we then want to deploy into other lines of business throughout the enterprise. So we look at it all different ways, usually starting with the most granular and then coming up to a higher level. That's all we have for this episode of Rethink. Be sure to visit skillednursingnews.com for the latest insights and industry news and subscribe to Rethink to be notified when new episodes are released. Available now on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SoundCloud. I'm Jordan Rowland for Skilled Nursing News. Thanks for listening.